In Romans chapter 9, verse 6, Paul says that not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. What's Paul teaching here? For centuries now, this passage has been removed from its wider context and used to teach that the church is now the true Israel. But is that what Paul is teaching? Today, we'll place Romans 9, verse 6 in its biblical context and we'll bring clarity to this often misunderstood passage. And we'll answer the question, who is true Israel? You are listening to the Tove Podcast. Welcome to the Tove Podcast. My name is Levi Hazen. I have the privilege of being the host of the Tove Podcast, as well as serving as the executive director of Life and Messiah International. If you're new to Life and Messiah's ministry, you can learn more about us on the web by visiting lifeandmessiah.org or searching for Life and Messiah and finding our YouTube channel. On both the website and the YouTube channel, you're going to find many hours of wonderful biblical content where we teach God's good heart toward Israel and the Jewish people and proclaim that Yeshua of Nazareth has come in the flesh as a fulfillment of God's promises through the Hebrew prophets. Well, our focus today is Romans chapter 9, in particular, verses 6 and 7. But instead of beginning at Romans chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we're going to back up to Romans 9, verse 1. Why? Because we always want to put a certain verse or a certain passage in its wider context. So, without further ado, Romans chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 say the following, quote, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience is testifying to me with the Holy Spirit that I have intense sorrow and continual anguish in my heart, end quote. Here, in verses 1 and 2, we see the fact of Paul's burden. Something is giving him intense anguish, even sorrow. The Greek word that we translate as intense is megas. This is where our English adjective mega comes from. If we want to describe something as especially big, sometimes we put a mega in front of it to emphasize just how big it is. We might say that Paul had a mega sorrow or mega burden. This same Greek word is also used by Paul in 1 Timothy 6.6. There, Paul is trying to emphasize the superiority of spiritual gain compared to material gain when he says, quote, Godliness with contentment is great gain, end quote. There, we translate megas to the English word great. Godliness with contentment is superior and is a mega gain compared to any kind of physical, temporal gain. Moving on to verse 3. Paul says, For I could almost wish to be cursed and cut off from the Messiah for the benefit of my brothers, 
my own flesh and blood, end quote. Now, verse 3 is somewhat startling to us. And here we see just how great, how mega Paul's sorrow is. Apparently, it's so intense that he would cut himself off from a personal relationship with God if this intense sorrow could be pacified. And in the second half of verse 3, we see the object of Paul's burden, namely, his brothers, his own flesh and blood. Now, we might think Paul is referring to his immediate family members. Today, if I tell you that I have a sorrow for my own flesh and blood, you will likely think I'm referring to my immediate family members, perhaps my siblings or my children. But in the very next verse, Paul clarifies for us what he means by his brothers, his own flesh and blood. Verse 4, quote, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. End quote. Here, Paul makes it clear. When he refers to his brothers, his own flesh and blood, he means the Jewish people. Now, Paul uses the term Israelites here. He uses this term to refer to the Jewish people in his own day. This was a common phrase used to refer to Jewish people no matter where they lived. Here, Paul does not use the term Israelite to mean people from the country of Israel. And this provides us with another opportunity to make sure we're not placing our modern-day usage of a word back onto the text of the Bible. As mentioned previously, the Bible's context and usage of a word is the final arbiter for the meaning of the word, not another book's usage or our modern-day vocabulary. And when Paul uses the term Israelite, he means a Jewish person from anywhere around the globe. Today, the term Israelite is not really used except when referring to the biblical text. But a very similar word is used, and that's the term Israeli. Although Israeli and Israelite are similar words, their modern-day meaning is vastly different from how the Bible uses the term Israelite. For example, today the term Israeli is used to refer to someone's national identity. An Israeli is a person whose citizenship status is from the country of Israel. But there are millions of people who have Israeli citizenship who are not Jewish. For example, there are over 2 million Arab citizens of Israel who are Israeli, but not Jewish. So, again, we just must be aware and be cautious of using our modern-day understanding of words and placing them back onto the Bible's use of a word. Moving on. After Paul pinpoints the object of his sorrow, namely the Jewish people, he continues by listing six gifts that still presently belong to the Jewish people. These six gifts were given to the Jewish people by the God of Israel, and they include the adoption, or the chosenness, the glory, the covenants, the law of Moses, the temple service, and the promises. A lot could be said about these six gifts that God has graciously given to Israel. The point here is that Paul says these six gifts 
belong to Israel currently. And nothing has changed in the storyline of God since Paul penned these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had already been crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven when Paul wrote these words. The church had already been born and was growing all over the world when Paul wrote these words. There's no reason, based on either the text or redemptive history, to conclude that Paul's statement is somehow not true today. It has not been rescinded just because time has passed since he wrote it. Why do I make this point? Because many Gentile believers are simply unaware that God has a continuing plan and purpose for the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. Much of Western theology has sought to write Israel right out of the Bible. In our commentaries and sermons, we teach about Israel, but we perform gymnastics with the biblical text in order to keep them out of the storyline and simply relegate them to the past. After all, we want to see ourselves in the storyline. And for some reason, we don't think it's possible that God's plot could include room for both the church and Israel. We think God's plot, his storyline, only has room for one protagonist, for one main character. Western seminaries, by and large, have a stigma against including Israel as a current and future actor in God's redemptive story. Think about the many sermons and Bible studies you've heard where Israel has been included. Haven't the vast majority held Israel up as the whipping boy, the prodigal son who's never returned? When was the last time you heard about God's future blessings that are to come for Israel? When was the last time you heard about the Bible's teaching concerning hope for Israel and the Jewish people? When was the last time you heard a teaching about Paul's burden for the salvation of his brothers, his own flesh and blood? Dr. Michael Vlock, who serves as professor of theology at Shepherd's Theological Seminary in Cary, North Carolina, notes the following. The word Israel is used 73 times in the New Testament. Each and every time, Israel refers to either the nation or the people group, or to the physical land or geography of Israel, or, a few times, to a specific subset of believers within the global population of Jewish people. Not once does Israel refer to Gentile believers in Jesus. Not once does Israel refer to the church. Not once does Israel refer to the black Hebrew Israelites. Israel refers to either a specific land or a specific people who are Jewish. It's time for a quick break. When we come back, we're going to arrive at the heart of our often misunderstood passage. Romans chapter 9, verses 5, 6, and 7, where Paul uses the phrase, true Israel. What does Paul mean? Does he mean that Gentiles have now become Israel? Or is he still referring to the same Israel as in the preceding verses? Our goal is to make this passage crystal clear by ensuring it is read within its immediate and overall context. We'll be right back on the Tove Podcast. Since 1887, Life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to His people. 
We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org. Welcome back to the Tove Podcast. We're covering an often misunderstood passage today and answering the question, Who is true Israel? Our goal is to bring clarity to this passage so it does not trip us up as we read through Romans and so we can ensure we have a proper view of Israel and the church as we read the Bible. Romans chapter 9, verse 5 says the following, quote, The ancestors are theirs, and from them, by physical descent, came the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. End quote. Who are the them that Paul is referring to in verse 5? Well, it has to refer to the Israelites, the Jewish people. They're the only people group Paul has referred to so far in the preceding verses. We also know from the biblical record that it was through them, the Jewish people, that the Messiah came. The Messiah did not arrive via the Egyptians, the Chinese, or the Americans. He arrived through the Jewish people, by God's choice, by God's design, and in fulfillment of his many prophecies through the Jewish prophets. I sometimes tell Christians If you have a problem with following a Messiah who is Jewish through and through, then the Jesus of the Bible is not for you. Perhaps the Jesus of the Bible is not the one you're currently following if you've stripped Jesus of his Jewish identity. If the Messiah and his attributes can simply be refashioned into any image that we desire him to resemble, perhaps we need to take another look at the Messiah we're following. The only inspired God-ordained authority on Jesus are the Scriptures, not our culture, not Western or Eastern Christianity, not the Catholic Church, certainly not the Mormon Church, only the Bible. That's it. Is the Messiah you follow the same one described by both the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament? That's a question I'll leave you to ponder on as we move to verse 6 of Romans chapter 9. It says this, quote, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. End quote. Ah, here we arrive at a text that, if removed from its context, can be taught to mean just about anything we want it to mean. Thankfully, the Bible is full of context. Just as you use words, sentences, and paragraphs every day that have a context, so it is true with the Scriptures. So what's Paul teaching here? Is he teaching, as so many believe, that now all of a sudden, in an apparent about-face, Gentile believers are now a true Israel? That Gentile believers are now the real or spiritual Israel? Well, if the context is ignored, then sure. But cherry-picking verses in order to bolster our theological presuppositions is no way to teach or study God's Word. Although it's often taught that Paul is expanding the definition of true Israel to include Gentile believers, in reality, he's narrowing the definition of a true Jew or a true Israelite. He's not expanding it. Let me provide a modern-day sports illustration. 
I apologize for the many of you who do not follow sports. Let's say you're a big fan of the Chicago Bulls. You call yourself an authentic fan, a true fan. So, we start talking. And after some conversation, I ask you, so who's in the starting lineup for the Chicago Bulls? You're able to name two or three players, but not all five. Then I ask you if you've attended any Bulls games this season. You said you wished you could, but you haven't had a chance to. At that point, I ask you, are you sure you're a true fan? I think you get the drift. A true fan of the Chicago Bulls would be attending at least a few Bulls games. A true fan of the Chicago Bulls would at least know the starting lineup. Now, let's bring it back to the text of Scripture here. What Paul is saying in the overall context here is that a true Israelite is one who believes the words of God. A true Israelite is one who places their faith in the Jewish Messiah, the one promised by the Hebrew prophets. A true Israelite is the remnant of Israel. Paul teaches on that in Romans chapter 11, verse 5. To view Paul's statement as all of a sudden expansionist, in that he is opening up the definition of an Israelite to now include Gentiles who have faith in Jesus, does not make any sense with the rest of Paul's teachings, especially in Romans 9-11. through You see, the verse we just read, verse 6, is actually explained for us in the following verses, verses 7-13, through where it says the following, quote, Neither are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. That is, it is not the children of physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise are considered to be the offspring. For this is the statement of the promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah will have a son. But also Rebekah received a promise when she became pregnant by one man, our ancestor Isaac. For though her sons had not been born yet or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand, not from works, but from the one who calls, she was told, The older will serve the younger, as it is written, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. End quote. Commenting on this passage, the Moody Bible Commentary points out the following, quote, The true Jewish people are Jews who are not mere descendants of Abraham, but are rather his ethnic descendants who were chosen by God to be recipients of his covenant blessings, including salvation. In verse 6, Paul does not have Gentile believers in view. He's concerned to demonstrate that what God was doing with Israel in Paul's day was what God had always done with the descendants of Abraham, and Gentile Christians are simply not in view. Paul's point is to indicate that true Israel consists of the ethnic descendants of Abraham who have embraced Messiah, who are the faithful remnant, who are a narrower subset of a broader ethnic Israel. End quote. In summary, based on the immediate context of Romans chapter 9, as well as the wider context of the whole book of Romans, it would not make any sense for Paul to use an expansionist definition of true Israel to mean Gentile believers in Jesus. Rather, what Paul's teaching here, and what makes the most sense and fits with the context, 
is that Paul is saying there is a true Israel. In fact, we see Jesus use this particular term in the same way. In John chapter 1, starting in verse 43, we read about the calling of Philip and Nathanael. It says this, quote, The next day he, Jesus, decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. End quote. What a wonderful illustration of the phrase true Israelite. Jesus is clearly not telling Nathanael that he's now a Gentile. Jesus is clearly not trying to expand the definition of an Israelite to include Gentile believers. What Jesus is telling Nathanael is that he has got it right. What Jesus is telling Nathanael is that he's recognized the most important thing that he could ever recognize, and that is that Jesus of Nazareth is God in the flesh. He's the Son of God, and he's came to save the world from their sins. And Paul is using the phrase in the same way in Romans chapter 9. Paul is telling us that a true Israelite is one who believes on the King of Israel, Jesus Messiah. I hope today's study has been clarifying for you, and I hope the next time you read Romans chapter 9 or you hear a sermon on this particular passage, that you remember the context and you remember what a true Israelite is. The quicker we come to an understanding in our Bible reading that there is a distinction between the church and Israel, the quicker we can really begin to understand the Bible as it's written. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Tove Podcast. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the Tove Podcast, you can find those by visiting lifeinmessiah.org and clicking on the Tove Podcast tab at the top of the page. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.